The opinions expressed in the Palace of Glittering Delights are mine and mine alone. No one would be stupid enough to hold them. The things discussed in the Palace of Glittering Delights may lead to spoilers if you have not seen the topic of today's episode. There may also be occasional ranting and swearing. Don't say I didn't warn you. A reading of Moonlighting, an oral history by Scott Ryan, led me to dig out the DVDs of this once incredibly popular, but seemingly now forgotten, TV classic. I was rewarded with a show that was every bit as funny, fresh and innovative as it was when it first heard. In part one of this now three-part retrospective, I covered the first two seasons of Moonlighting and delved into how the show became bolder as it went along. For part two, I looked at what is, in hindsight, the best of the show's five seasons. Season three, delving into the series' creative peak at a time that produced many of its most well-remembered and best-loved episodes. But all things end. A season three climaxed, so did Maddie and David. Producer and creator Glenn Gordon Caron, feeling he'd taken will-they-won't-they they as far as he could, decided it was time to move the show forward. And he did, only not in the way he'd planned, as everything conspired against him to make this the most difficult season to make and to watch. We'll never know if Glenn Gordon Karen was right, and he could have maintained interest in the show after Maddie and David got together, as season four would have to get along, not only without him, busy as he was writing and directing the Michael Keaton movie Clean and Sober, but without Sybil Shepherd, who was told to work only a certain amount of hours per day, and only for a set amount of time. After which, she was to rest completely due to falling pregnant with twins. Shepard finished her work on season four in July of 1987, and she didn't return to the set until January of 1988. Now, I say none of the following to denigrate the work of the many, many talented artists that worked on Moonlighting. I could wax lyrical about the other writers, the music, the lighting, the directors, Elise Beasley and Curtis Armstrong's massively underappreciated and magnificent contributions. But Karen, Shepard and Willis were the show. Karen rewrote almost every script, made sure the tone was right, the voices clear. He was 33.3% of the reason the show was what it was. Shepard was the other 33.3%, her flaming chemistry with co-star Bruce Willis, the reason the show caught fire as it did. This left the final 33.3% of the show's success, Bruce Willis, alone, to shoulder on as best he could. Now, take 66.6% .6 away from anything, and it's not going to be as good. However, there was another storm on the horizon. A change of owner for the network? Did this mean the support system that had allowed Moonlighting to thrive would be going away? Would any other studio tolerate the delays and fastidious attention to detail that made Moonlighting a phenomenon? We found out with season four. A trip to the moon, the season's premiere, actually filmed as part of season three. 
Upon completion of this episode, the decision was then made to film all of Sybil's scenes for the rest of the season and drop them into the other episodes as needed. This was done whilst Willis left to film Die Hard. When he returned, production resumed, but Shepard and Karen were busy elsewhere. A trip to the moon doesn't really work for me. The banter between the two seems off, stilted somewhat, mean-spirited as opposed to light and funny. The Honeymooners spoof, well observed though it may be, falls flat for someone who never saw the Honeymooners. David's character, Ralph, is a boorish thug, not someone I really want to watch. Charles Rocket seems like he's doing a caricature, not a character. It's the show's weakest season premiere by a mile, and it culminates in separating the duo. A separation that would last over half a season. I realise this decision was forced upon them by unforeseen circumstances, but it's like splitting up Laurel and Hardy, Markham and Wise, or Salt and Vinegar. Nowadays, the show would just take a year off and return when the other projects had been filmed, the dust had settled and the babies had been born. But that wasn't a consideration in 1987. The season ploughed ahead as best it could without its leading lady and its guiding light. Comeback Little Shiksa is mainly memorable for the funny and well-animated claymation sequence. Take a left at the altar for its awful rear screen projection in the final chase scene. Still, both are better than A Tale in Two Cities, which isn't memorable at all. I swear I forgot what this one was about as I was watching it. It culminated in Maddie realising she's pregnant and David heading to Chicago to finally talk it out. On the way, he's distracted by a two-part episode, Cool Hand Dave, a spoof you may have guessed, of Cool Hand Luke. Sadly, this is another episode missing its pre-credit sequence on DVD. Nevertheless, Cool Hand Dave manages to find its mojo by ditching the Maddie is Miserable storyline for a bit and focusing instead on Willis, a move that, for the most part, works well. Willis has never had a role as good as Moonlighting, a role that capitalised on his particular talents, fully allowing him to do drama, comedy, action, as well as show-off talents he never knew he had. Rewatching this series reminded me why he became a big star, and how he's largely been wasted over the past two decades. Whilst Cool Hand Dave isn't Moonlighting at its peak, it's at least fun, something the series hasn't been for the past few weeks. If nothing else, no other show on TV at the time would break off to do a Gilbert and Sullivan number in the middle. Father Knows Last and Fetal Attraction form another mini-arc as David learns to accept his impending fatherhood by having a man-to-man -man with Maddie's father and attending Lamasse classes. It's every bit as interesting as it sounds. Tracks of My Tears finally sees Sybil Shepherd return for real, no longer on the phone or locked into footage films six months earlier. Credit where it's due... This lassie gag made me laugh. Great news, sir. Great, great news. We just found out. I'm all ears. You'll never guess. I give up. She's coming home. Lassie? Maddie. Miss Hayes. Trax isn't bad. There's a feeling of longing to the story, with Maddie seemingly concerned that having kids will kill the passion, and, ironically, given all she said in the past, kill David's spontaneity. There's almost an art house feel to Maddie's dream sequences in this episode. The tinkling wind chimes, her passionate tearing open of David's shirt, the negligee she's wearing, it's all very erotically charged. Maddie is still trapped between loving the things about David she hates in herself and having a reliable father for her kids. Unfortunately, it's still stuck in the Maddie sits around moping story that's dominated the season. 
I understand again that the producers' hands were tied. They made a decision and were stuck with it. I understand it's very difficult to make a romantic comedy between two people when half of them aren't there. All of this is in Scott Ryan's book and I understand it. But I don't understand how when they finally got Maddie back, having Sybil Shepherd back, having Glenn Gordon Karen back, they have Maddie hook up with someone else. That she's married is one of the single most ridiculous plot contrivances of any TV show ever. Why not have her be back? David and Maddie argue. A case walks in. The case mimics what's going on in their life. There's some banter, some innuendo, a noirish revelation, a stupid chase scene and a reconciliation. And we move on, albeit with a pregnant Maddie. And then we focus on that. But Maddie married? I had the same reaction David had. Incredulity. I was therefore surprised by how much I enjoyed Eek a Spouse. Sure, the marriage story is still dumb, but there was a case, an actual honest-to-God case and banter, some of which was even funny. Case in point, this wonderful moment of self-reflexive wit. Uh, David, are uh, you all right? Forget about me. Are you okay? I'm fine. Come on, let's go. Well, what about the Bambino? How's the Bambino? Fine, I'm fine. They're getting away. Let him go. Let him go? Let him go. Let him go. Who says we gotta catch him? Where does it say we gotta catch him? We solved the crime. The guilty parties know who they are. Let him get caught on some other detective show. Let Magnum catch him. Or Jake and that big fat chubby guy. Or how about that old dame, the one that won all the Emmys? Let her get a collar once in a while. How many times have we done this? 30, 40, 50 times maybe? And always the same thing. I say this time, this one time, we bow out. Better us take a powder than jeopardize the future of Sam Jr. Leave Sam out of this. Maddie, 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 you're having a baby. You know how these chase scenes are. Always something stupid, a lot of running, hopping, bopping around. I refuse to let you do this chase scene with me. Fine. I'll do it myself. <laughs> That's all right. You know I'll be there with her. As David points out in that clip, of course there was a chase scene, and of course he was going to join in with it. And there was... And at least it felt like Moonlighting was back, firing on, if not all four cylinders, at least two or three. Maddie Hayes got married, sees a rather mean-spirited David organise a bachelor party for Maddie's new hubby and a spur-of-the-moment wedding for the duo. Doesn't really show David in his best light, but Maddie doesn't come across any better, demanding to know who the woman is David has been helping out at Lamar's classes. Frankly, it's none of her business, and David is a condescending, shallow asshole. Showing your main characters to have recognisable flaws is one thing. Depicting them as selfish jerks is another thing entirely. The only one who comes out of this mess with any credibility is Dennis Dugan as Maddie's Beau Walter Bishop. Poor Walter was never given a chance, with the audience hating him from the get-go. This may be a hot take, but I like him much more than I like Sam. He can do the banter with Maddie, he's witty in his own way, and he holds his own against David. Dugan is a solid actor who handles the cadences of Moonlighting's dialogue well. It didn't come as a surprise to me to learn that he was a contender for the role of David Addison back when the show was first casting. Response to Walter was vicious, and the producers are lucky there was no internet back then. Plans for Walter to stick around for two seasons were ditched, and he was written out in the season finale, and the flesh was made word. Dugan would be back, however, as a director for the show. Also written out, David's Lamar's partner, played by Brooke Adams, clearing the way for Maddie and David to make a go of it. 
And the flesh was made word isn't bad as these things go, in that there is at least a case, a story and a dilemma for the characters. Clearing the decks for the next season doesn't hurt either. The most memorable part of the show, though, is the last ten minutes. This episode was written just as the 1988 writer's strike hit, and, this being moonlighting, the script wasn't finished. As such, the finale sees Curtis Armstrong miming along to Wooly Bully as the cast and crew dance along with him. The writers recall that this was all pretty much ad-libbed, as they weren't allowed to write anything without breaking the strike. It's not up there with the best of the show's set pieces or even cold opens, but it's funny and charming, and it could also have been the last we ever saw of the Blue Moon Detective Agency. However, this was not the last episode of the season as I saw it. The BBC picked up where they left off, with Series 3 only airing Season 4 episodes, commencing on the 4th of January 1988, after a short run of repeats. For the first time, episodes were aired in order, with this notable exception. Season 3 ended abruptly, with two episodes left to air, allegedly due to the writer's strike, which somehow resulted in the BBC not receiving the shows in time to screen. They were finally transmitted as a prelude to Series 4, but were not billed as part of that series, rather the BBC choosing to publicise them as the last two episodes of Series 3. They also flipped them around, as I alluded to. And the flesh was made word, the actual finale, erred before the penultimate episode, Here's Living With You Kid, presumably so as not to kick off a new series with an episode that didn't feature Maddie and David at all. Here's Living With You Kid was the annual Ms. DePesto episode and a spot-on spoof of Casablanca, with Curtis Armstrong doing a pretty mean Bogart impression and Alice Beasley taking on the Bergman role. It's actually a really good episode. The silent movie parodies top flight. The black and white photography every bit as good as dream sequence. And overall it's an underrated gem in the Moonlighting canon, featuring all the inventive qualities that made Moonlighting great, except Maddie and David. It even made me laugh out loud a few times. However, the regular audience had by this point tired of Maddie and David being apart, so erring an episode that featured neither Maddie nor David seemed incredibly ill-judged. This seemed to be the season of making dopey choices. But the dopiest choice was yet to come. ABC still wanted to renew Moonlighting for a fifth season. Despite the problems and rating slide, the series was still popular and was still a top 20 show, at least at that point. Plus, this is supposition on my part, if ABC owned and made the show, then they were going to want enough episodes for profitable syndication. However, behind the scenes, the problems became untenable. Scott Ryan's book, Moonlighting and Oral History, has all the details, but the practical upshot seems to be that Sybil Shepherd got Glenn Gordon Karen fired from the show he created. Now, this isn't the first time a network or studio has sided with a star over a writer-producer, and it won't be the last. You'd think that someone, somewhere, would realise that it never ends well, but apparently not. I like actors. They are, after all, what you see on screen, and they can elevate bad material and make good material sing. But for that good material, they need a good writer. Karen was a good writer. His absence in season four was keenly felt, as was Shepard's, but at least he was still contributing. 
Could moonlighting even survive without its creator and guiding light? Did its stars want it to? Bruce Willis didn't think the show could survive without Karen. Although they had a script for the season premiere, Willis didn't think it was up to snuff. And he and Karen had become pretty tight over the years. So Willis called Karen and asked him to at least write the season premiere, or do a rewrite on it anyway, which Karen dutifully did. A Wound with a View kicked off Moonlighting's fifth and final season, in the most moonlighting way possible, by not only mocking the show's inability to get episodes out on time and make a season of a full 22-episode order, but also of its leading lady's tardiness. Have you students been smoking banana peels again? What's the matter with you? Look! Yeah. Is that who I think it is? Yeah. Ain't it bitchin'? Well, I'll be a serious regular. Look, there's... There's Kathy and Arnold and... and Dawn! Jaime and Dawn. Look, hi, Dawn. Nancy! There's my friend Mark from Jordan. my hometown. Well, I guess we're back in show business, aren't we? Oh, wait a Miss Hayes. Here's the good news. Yeah. So... Kids, are we ready to roll up our sleeves and make our dialogue dirty again? <laughs> yes, yes, sir. What are we waiting for? He another season, another try To make 22 shows before we die A chance for critics to stop and steer We know they'll only make 16 this year Grow up our chances for syndication? Huh? Saw Bugs Bunny do that once. Where were we? About to kick off the new season. Right! My season. But hit it! Optimistic of them to presume they'll make 16 episodes. Womb is probably the last truly great episode of Moonlighting. 
Bruce Willis proves himself once again game for anything, spending this episode in a nappy and baby grow, playing his own unborn child, as Joseph Mayer plays the emissary, Jerry, here to introduce the world to the newborn. Things take a turn for the tragic when he learns that baby Hayes isn't scheduled to be born, at least not to Maddie and David. Rather, he's off to either Growing Pains or Cosby. All things considered, the kid had been better with Maddie and David. Karen could have gone for maudlin sentimentality with this storyline, but it's actually sweet and quite life-affirming. No baby is really lost, the show is saying, just reassigned. No soul really dies. Not really. Along the way, there's a lavish musical number, and Karen makes all kinds of commentary on mankind's propensity for violence and kindness. And whilst having Maddie miscarry can be seen as cynical, it generally works. David has already been with a woman who had a miscarriage, so the problem could conceivably be with David, not Maddie. If they'd made this episode instead of Eek a spouse and moved on from there, maybe they could have saved the series. It's not a bad last hurrah for Glengarden Karen, though. Between a yuck and a hard place tries too hard, despite some impressive stunt work, but it has some of the worst doubling of an actor I've ever seen. Although it does feature one great gag. David's playing with a knife in the car for no reason, and Maddie asks why he has it. No idea, David replies. I just thought it would come in useful later. And of course, it does. Moonlighting self-awareness on point, as usual. A few times throughout this trilogy of shows, I've mentioned that Moonlighting could have been somewhat successful as a normal detective show, and the next few episodes pretty much solidify that opinion. They're nowhere near as groundbreaking or innovative as Moonlighting used to be, but they are what Moonlighting could have been in lesser hands. The colour of Maddie is a semi-spoof of the colour of money in that throw some scenes in a pool hall, but it's really about exploring where Maddie and David are now in their relationship, and it's fine, I guess. Plastic Fantastic Lovers features a wonderful OTT performance from Andrew Robinson, plain, simple, Garrick, and is pretty fun, being a throwback to the more light-hearted cases of years one and two, despite also being about something relatively serious, plastic surgery and the need for it. Shirts and Skins pits David versus Maddie in a sexual harassment case. Take My Wife, for example, yet another episode missing its cold open on DVD, sees Maddie and David try to solve the death of a man who came to them for help, but expired in Maddie's office before he could tell them the case. Turns out he'd won $12 million on the lottery. He'd ripped the ticket in half and given one half to his friend. Said friend asks Maddie and David to find his half of the lottery ticket for 10% of the winnings. It all ends up being quite convoluted in true moonlighting fashion, but there's a nice line in dark humour throughout. I see England, I see France, I see Maddie's netherworld again touches upon mortality and the afterlife, morphing into a homage to Michael Jackson's thriller towards the end. Whilst this run of episodes had been fine, fine, good, good, whatever it was that made moonlighting really special has gone. It occasionally raises a smile, but the routines are tired. The chase scenes, not that special anymore. And the spoofs, such as the thriller gag, not as entertaining. And then, this happened. Good 
Where's Al? Where's he at? Anybody seen Al Jarreau? David, come on. We're ready to start the show. You can't start the show without the theme music, and Al Jarreau is not here. Really? Yes, really. That's Where's not like Al. Seen it? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Did someone tell Al about the move to Sunday night? The lady asked a question. Uh, that's a negative, Miss Hayes. Great. Well, why the hell didn't somebody David, call him? you can't talk like that. Like what? Like you just talked. Why not? It's 8 o'clock Sunday night. There are kids out there watching. You're going to have to clean your mouth up. Well, they're supposed to be in bed by now. From now on, ixnay on sexual innuendo. No more double entendres, no more off-color remarks. No more of this? What are we going to do for the next 85 pages? Solve entertaining mysteries. <laughs> Doesn't matter. We're not going to have a show because we can't start the show without the theme song, and Al's not here. Oh, yeah? Roll the credits. What are you going to do? Come walk by night. Come fly by day. Hold it. Hold it. Oh, 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 oh. These people just ate a very large meal out there. You're going to put them in a coma singing like that. Roll the tape. Come walk by night. I know, here. this is wonderful, but if you're going to sing like that, you should join a garage band. Well, you don't like the way I sing? Can't you hear the dogs all across America howling? Well, I heard a couple dogs, but I didn't think oh, that oh, had anything oh. to do with this. Well, what are we going to do? Just stand here for the next 46 Come minutes? On, I don't bad. want to. You have to. Oh, like, no. Please. I got a bad feeling. You'll be bloodshed if you don't. All right. That was the cold open to those lips, those lies. Essentially, another Richie Addison show that flips The Sun Also Rises. This time, instead of David's father marrying someone about whom David knows something secret, this time it's Richie's fiance. Moreover, though, the show that had once joked about being moved to Sunday nights, 7.30, was now there, almost in that exact time slot. A little bit later, sure, but this wasn't much better. It was pretty much the death knell for the series. Moonlighting had built its rep on being risque and adult. It's hard to be risque and adult in the family hour. We found this out in Perfect, P-E-R-F-E-T-C, a weirdly spelt title that features some really sloppy editing and a joke at the expense of the change of day and time. Talk about life imitating art. Now, I could make a double entendre here, but I'm doing my part to clean up the airwaves. Just say no to innuendo. 
When Girls Collide kicks off the story arc that would ultimately wrap up the series. The stunningly beautiful Virginia Madsen guests as Annie, Maddie's cousin, with whom David starts a relationship. If those lips, those lies had been a rehash of an earlier, better episode, so is this story arc, swapping Sam out of the Maddie-Sam-David triangle for Annie. In and Outlaws is the annual Depesta Viola episode, and it's actually quite fun, whilst Ain't a Clean at Nacked Murder has a hoary old premise right out of any bad TV detective show. Maddie accidentally stumbles into a murder and has to put up with a cop bodyguarding her whilst the murderer can be found. It's Moonlighting's last gasp as a noir murder mystery, and fair play, the climax is funny. Moonlighting came to a close with the final episode, Lunar Eclipse. As a last episode, it's a bust, and not the good kind. Ms. DePesto and Viola get married, David tricks Annie into getting back with her husband. Oh yeah, did I not mention that she was married? Doesn't really paint David in a good light. And the whole thing concludes with some slapstick at a wedding. Finally, in the last ten minutes, it remembers that it's moonlighting, with David and Maddie learning that the show has been cancelled. Recurring character McGillicutty dies because he has no more scenes, David thinks it's just another dream sequence, and we get one last tour of the sets before the ABC executive shows up to let them know where it all went wrong. Get out! Besides, what do you mean, get out? Get out! But you're our last hope! Besides, you're one of the biggest producers in the business, come on! Hey, even I can't get people to tune in to watch what they don't want to watch anymore. Don't get me wrong, I love you two kids. But can you really blame the audience? Case of Poison Ivy's more fun than watching you two lately. Ah, what are you talking about? What about all the laughs we had? Yeah. People don't want laughs, David. They want romance. Romance? And romance is a very fragile thing. Once it's over, it's over. And I'm afraid for you too. it's over. But it's not over. David and I are still friends. Yeah, we're buddies. Oh, goody. That's exactly what America wants to see. David and Maddie, friends. People fell in love with you two kids falling in love. You couldn't keep falling forever. Sooner or later, you had to land someplace. People cared about you two because you cared about each other. Even when you didn't want to care, you still cared. You couldn't not care. You cared until you couldn't care any longer. What do you say? Something about caring. You two were a great love story. Well, we can't just vanish into thin air. What'll they do without us? Well, don't worry about them. They'll be fine. What's going to happen to us? You know, I could be wrong. But remember what I said. Romance is a very fragile thing. Romance, huh? Romance. That's what they want? Romance? Romance. Come on, sister. We'll give them a little romance. Nice kids. Gonna miss them. It's a nice touch that that executive was played by Dennis Dugan, who played Walter Bishop. It's also quite moonlighting that the show that knew it was a show would go out acknowledging that the show doesn't always go on. The light that burns twice as bright burns half as long, and for the first three years, moonlighting burns so very, very brightly. Sadly, the finale isn't so much of a burning candle as a wet wick. The finale spoiled by an actor that refused to say their lines. And despite what you may have heard, it wasn't Sybil Shepherd. But 35 years later, the tantrums don't matter. The behind-the-scenes shenanigans fade. 
All that matters is what's on screen. And what was on screen has never been replicated. There have been other screen couples, but not have managed to burn up that screen like Maddie and David. There have been other shows that have tried to be as bold, but nothing compared to Moonlighting. When? When it was in its prime. You just didn't know what you were going to get. That level of unpredictability in the staid, formulaic world of US network TV should be treasured. The BBC sent Moonlighting off with its fourth series, kicking off an unbroken run of season five episodes on Tuesday the 7th of March, with the Blue Moon Detective Agency closing its doors for the final time on the 13th of June 1989. It's been rerun a few times, mostly on cable channels, but Moonlighting never received a full-on network repeat, instead fading into TV oblivion. It's strange that such a popular show, a show that tapped into the zeitgeist in ways that most shows can only dream of, that achieved ratings that were astronomical even for the time, let alone by today's standards, is mostly forgotten today because moonlighting changed television for the first time us network tv wasn't treated as a conveyor belt churning out formulaic pap designed to fill in time between commercials certainly in seasons one through three glenn gordon karen didn't let anything go to the earth that didn't pass his stringent quality standards off-concept episodes such as Atomic Shakespeare, Big Man on Mulberry Street and The Dream Sequence Always Rings Twice set the template for every single show since that has done an off-concept, off-formula episode just to bait the Emmy voters. And Moonlighting was trying to do something different every single week. After Moonlighting, every show wanted to do a black and white episode. After Moonlighting, every show wanted to do a musical number. And after Moonlighting, every show wanted clever dialogue. Copy and pasting scripts from other shows would no longer be acceptable. It showed that quality costs, and that sometimes making something decent takes a longer time to shoot. It showed that maybe making 22 hours of TV every week for multiple years was back-breaking work. It showed that TV could be art. It was essentially a 21st century streaming show, but inadvertently made 35 years too early. The show is currently only available on overpriced, out-of-print DVDs. It's rarely repeated. It's not on any streaming services. That's because Disney owns ABC. Not a surprise, Disney owns everything. And ABC own Moonlighting. Maybe Disney should spend some of those billions they save from not paying royalties and clear the music rights to get Moonlighting on Disney+. Plus, Because Moonlighting was special. And Moonlighting deserves to be seen. Out. There may be times when I need 
don't wait with sandwiches by the phone. Told you I love you, now get out. Sybil Shepherd, though, with I Told Ya, I Love Ya, Now Get Out, from the Moonlighting episode, The Dream Sequence Always Rings Twice. That was featured on the Moonlighting soundtrack, which is likewise currently unavailable. What is available is Scott Ryan's book, Moonlighting and Oral History, which is a fascinating in-depth look at the behind-the-scenes shenanigans and everything that went into making the show. Well worth a read if you're interested in TV production in general, and Moonlighting in particular. One email. One. Come on, people, you can do better than this. Rob McCarthy emailed in, uh, not much to add, Bruce Willis's album is okay, kind of like the Talking Heads and the Young Rascals had a baby. That, does, that, that actually sounds like a recommendation to me. I never thought about it, but Moonlighting is the anti-heart to heart. Well, in that it was good. Keep up the good work and read my comic, Hell on Wheels, www.howcomics.com. Yeah, go and read Rob's comic. It's quite good. I like it. Anyway, that's it. That's all I've got. I could sit here and just do silence for a bit. You know? Maybe I should sing Wooly Bully for ten minutes. And it's it, Eddie. Oh, take no chance. Two big horns. And a wooden job. Wooly bully. Wooly bully. Wooly bully. Wooly bully. Wooly bully. What you know? What you know? No. I won't do that. If you want to be spurred a rendition of another old song at the end of a show in lieu of the email section, you can email heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. I love that bit. I love that dot com bit. And you can drop me a line. And now that we're all in orbit around Omicron SETI 3, what else have you got to do? Uh, I'll be back next time. It's probably going to be the Christmas episode, although I haven't decided what I'm going to do for the Christmas episode, so that'll be a nice surprise for everybody. Um, I'm still clinging to this mantra. It's all going to be okay. Really stretching my resolve in that regard now, though. But hey, no, step up a lip and all that. There you are. Take care. Be careful. Be kind to each other. And let's be good. See you all real soon. Goodbye.